Pastor Steve, welcome. Good to see each of you today, and uh, glad to have you have you with us today. So, um, let's see. I was thinking the clickers up here. Maybe it's. Can I get the? Uh, there you go. Thank you. Um, and maybe you can bring me the uh, clicker, whatever its official name is. Um, so. We're in our series, getting close to wrapping up our series on just sex, just money, and just power. And um, as it would be, uh, today we're talking about just power. Nobody else is talking about power in our world today, right? Nobody else is talking about abusive power or good power or bad power, just power, right? Just happens to be in church, we're talking about power. Um, as you know, this has been a week where we're talking about abuse of power. What is that? And how, how can there be abuse of power? And what is good use of power? Is there such a thing? Or should we just give it all away? Where does power come from? And why do we, why do we have it? How can we use it? Is it possible to use power well? And so um, we're, we're going we're gonna to delve into that today. I want to ask you a question first of all. Where do you have power? Because you can write about the, uh, you can talk about everybody else and their power and all oh, those powerful people and what they do. And we ask you a question, where do you have power? Where do you have some kind of control over something? Can you think about it yourself? Where do you have some power? And then when you've thought about it, turn to somebody near you and tell them uh, some places or a place where you have power. <clears throat> okay. Let me hear some examples of where you have power, where you have some control over yourself. Okay? Good. Not all of us have that. So, somebody else? Yeah. Aha! There we go. All of us remember being students and uh, the power that the teacher had. Some of us still are, and some of us get to be the teacher. Yeah? Okay? Of course, we also know how we turn the tables on the substitute teacher, right, Julie? So there's a little bit of a power struggle going on sometimes. Yeah, somebody else? Yeah. Power in Christ, okay. Somebody else? Power in the choices we make, okay? Yeah, Ifwa, sorry. You're an RA, you have power over your residence or in your residency. A little bit, anyways. Yeah? Head of your household. Is that agreed on everyone in the household or? So Sharon has given him the power to be power head of the household. The choices we make. There you go. All right. Good. So in our homes, in our houses, we have power. Yep. Right. Okay, we have power to influence people. Right. Right. 
Yep, we have power to make our choices, good or bad, and, and those choices influence other people, right? Um, okay? We, ha we have power in the local and national government, partially because we're in a democracy, we get to vote, we get to write letters, we get to do some things. Uh-huh, good. And there are, uh, there are systems that we, are, we influence or participate in or don't participate in, and we, we are, have some, some uh, influence there. There's power of prayer, okay. Um, not one we always take up, yeah. Power over which church you attend. That's right. We're glad you're still with us after all these years, Dave. That's true. You all, you all get to vote every Sunday uh, on which church you attend. And whether you send the clerks to Mexico or not, and other things like that, right? Okay, good. Um, so I'm going to go back to the beginning where we were at the, at the, uh, at the beginning of our time because I want to ask, where does power come from? And uh, it says this, after God created everything, Except people, and he said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So all power belongs to God, and God has shared some power with us. He delegated some power. You remember we watched, the, the beginning of this, we watched a uh, Bible Project video on the image of God, that image of God, that thing of being God's representative, kind, kind of like they would put a statue of the king, and that was representing his power. As the image of God, we have been given some power, and the intention of that was power over creation. Now, what was it for? In Genesis 2, it says he made a, uh, a garden, and he planted these beautiful trees that were good for, for beautiful and produced delicious fruit, and then he placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it and to freely eat from the trees. So they were given, we were given the power to reign over God's creation for his purposes on his behalf in order to, uh, to the, so the power came from God. It was to serve God and it was to serve his creation and help it fulfill its purpose. The purpose of all of creation is glorifying God. So we and the elephants and the stars and everything is designed to glorify God, the creator. And it all does that. And we are to en enable the rest of creation to do that. And God put a helper and, and man and woman were to work together to fulfill God's purposes, especially to glorify God and to care for all of creation so it will glorify God and to care for each other, right? That was the way it was supposed to be. And that was the way it was for a while. And then we get to abuse of power. Only two chapters before we get to abuse of power. <laughs> the Bible is full of abuse of power. And it all starts right here in Genesis 3. And the woman decides to use her power to choose, to choose rebellion to not do what God said to do. And the man isn't even deceived. He just goes right in 
with his eyes wide open and does what he's been told not to do. Um, and so what results from that? It leads to shame. They're hiding. And then it leads to blame. God says, did you eat the fruit? And does he say, yes, I ate the fruit. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Of course not. That wouldn't happen, right? Anybody been listening to the hearings? Anybody heard anybody say, yes, I did it, I'm sorry? We, the next step is, of course, blame, right? You did it. It was because of that. You, those people, they, blah, 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 blah. It's always blame, 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 right? And it starts right here. It starts right here. She, the woman you gave me. Her, and it's from you, so not me. Right? Starts out right there, and the woman says, oh, no, it was the snake. And, and then, um, however you translate this verse, uh, I will NLT says, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. Or another version says, you will desire your husband, and he will rule over you. And there's a lot of dispute about how that... But in any case, there's a power struggle already right away, Adam and Eve, right away in the marriage. Andrew talked about last time about domestic abuse. And there's always a power struggle in actually every relationship, and especially in marriage, just because we're so close together, and there's so many things we have to work together on and control. Now... It can be done well or it can be done poorly. And one of the things you might notice is that the one who loves the least has the most power in any relationship. So if I'm the least interested, then I have more power than you do. So what do we sometimes do? Instead of trying to outdo each other in love, we try to be one step less so that you need it more than I do so that I have control over that. So the... The more we use power, the less love there is. Or the less love we pull back, the more power we have in a relationship. Likewise, the more power we use, the less authority we have. So when a government starts to bring out the tanks against the demonstrators and starts to shoot the demonstrators, their authority goes down, right? The more power they use. So power can be, <laughs> well, it's often abused. And there's always these power struggles. And we see this going on. We, we get to the, the story of the Tower of Babel. And we, um, we see that this is that ziggurat we've been looking at. Where they tried to build a big tower of Babel to show how great they were, the power they had, the glory they had. And to put a temple on top, they were going to get all the way to heaven. And we put other things up there to give us that power for us or for me sex, money, power, whether that's for me personally, for my family, for my group, for my nation, for my whatever it is, we're trying to get those things to have control. And they work together, right? So last week, I want to review what <coughs> Andrew said quickly. He talked about the bosses are on the top of that ziggurat. They kind of they control things. And we're all trying to climb the ladder to get a hold of that power. And, but there's evil going on in that struggle now but he took us to this scripture and i um so he says therefore if any of you have encouragement from being united with christ now he's giving some motivations at the beginning here i'm going to ask a, a why question soon but there's some motivations here if you have encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love if any common sharing in the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and in one mind. Do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, do you see that very often? So the accusation, the articles of, of uh, abuse of power, was one of the and, and obstruction of Congress, are the articles being brought against President Donald Trump, um, and the, the Judiciary Committee passed it. And the point is, you used your office for your own personal political gain, and you got another national, another nation to try to try to convince another nation to do that. So abuse of power means. In this case, you were supposed to be doing this on behalf of the people of the United States, but you were doing it on your own behalf. And anytime we do things that we're entrusted with power, as a parent, for example, but we use it not for our children, but for ourselves, or we are a husband or a wife or an employee, or we're supposed to be working for the company, but we're really using it for ourselves, it's, it's abuse of power. But this... And everybody does it. So, that, so the ironic thing, of course, in the hearings is that all I hear is selfish ambition, vain conceit, um, nobody valuing any other, at least any other group higher than themselves. It's all about political power, right? <laughs> and it's all a theater. It's not, it doesn't seem like much of an investigation to me. But um, in any case, it's, this is the opposite of the way the world works. And we have examples. <laughs> of this kind of, of, uh, of self-interest and selfishness and my interests, that's normal, right? Paul's asking for something incredible and absolutely unheard of. And he says, how in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? And Andrew asked, but how? And he went on to say that the example of Jesus is how. If we can focus on Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his, to his own advantage, or not, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, gave it up by taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So do you see that Jesus is reversing? I didn't, hadn't seen this until this week. Jesus is reversing what Adam and Eve did. They had a position down here, but over a number of things, but they tried to grasp to be God. They wanted to be like God. And they thought this wisdom, this knowledge of good and evil would give them the chance to be like God. If they could decide what was good and bad, they could be God. And that is, isn't that what we all want? To be God at least a little bit? To have control at least a little bit? Uh, and why? Okay, that's the, that's the question. But you see, they were grasping, trying to get up. And Jesus, who was God, came down to be human, down to be a slave, down to be killed, down to the most shameful, hideous, awful death torturous death on a cross. And Paul says, follow his example. To be nothing, to take the nature of a servant, to be, to humble yourself. Um, 
So, so here's the thing that I had to ask when I was listening to Andrew's sermon. I was like, but why? Why would I do that? If I had any power, why would I humble myself, kill myself? So, um, so he talked about how the bosses who are trying to get up there, this whole thing gets flipped around and Jesus came down. There, he defeated the bosses by coming under the powers. There was not only the powers of the government, but the principalities and powers, which were intended to care, care for things and serve, but had become rebellious as well. All of that was upturned, and Jesus put himself at the bottom in order to change it all. So he said, we need to look and follow the cross. And we meditated on that. We had communion. But that was the question I still had. But why? Think about it. In church, you say, oh, yeah, we should follow the way of the cross. We should give up power, whatever. As soon as you get out, as soon as you're at your job or at home, I'm not sure if you're trying to give away power and trying to humble yourself. So why do we cling to power? That's the first question. Why do we cling to power? I think the first thing that has to be clear is insecurity. If you see a bully, it's because he's insecure. Right? And if you look at the examples in Scripture, you have all these insecure Leaders, they have a lot of power, but they're insecure. And so Pharaoh has all this power, but he's like, I'm a little worried about those Hebrews. So I, they could revolt. He gets insecure, and so he starts putting on the power, and he becomes this terrible bully. The, the system of Egypt oppresses these people because of insecurity. Look at Herod. Um, I mean, we have these examples all through scriptures, even the good ones. You know, uh, David calls a census. Why? He's insecure. How many people do I really have? How much, what if I had, how many people could I have fighting? Um, but Herod is insecure. He knows that he's not really a full Jew, and he marries the, the daughter of the, uh, the priest, and then he has a son, and everybody loves this son because this, this is like the, the grandson of the priest. And, and in fact, because he's popular, what does Herod do? Herod the Great, he... He arranges to have his son drowned in the swimming pool in Jericho. That's the kind of guy Herod is. And not only him, a lot of other people. So, you know, going through and murdering all the babies in a little village like Bethlehem, that was peanuts for Herod. He killed his own son. Why? Because he's insecure. Like Saul, remember? David has, Saul has killed his thousands. I mean, isn't that great? Wouldn't you like have people say, but David, his 10,000, 10, what? He has all the position, everything, but the women like David a little better, and so he goes crazy. That insecurity, that we're going to lose power. We forget where it comes from, and why is that? Because we need to get what we need. We feel like we've got to have some power so that we can have power to get what we need. Because if we don't have a little power, then we might not. And you can all feel like it's no big deal until like you're traveling and then your plane gets canceled and you're someplace else or you're, you're broken. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh. So Sinison talked about when he was in the prison, he realized that as soon as he stopped needing to eat and get clothing, 
he was no longer under the power of the guards. Because when he didn't need anything, they had no control over him. If they were like, and if they were going to kill him and he was okay with that, then they had no control anymore. And um, so we need to get what we need. It. And let's be honest, power is addictive. Just a little bit of power, any of us gets, we want to hang on to that and maybe get a little more, right? We don't really want <laughs> to give up control and power. But we have to, even to enter the kingdom of God, we have to, and I'm just going to celebrate recovery as a great example. I just thought about how this is, you know, a Christian version of the 12 steps. Of course, the 12 steps were originally a Bible study <coughs> thing, but um, this is, um, so realize I'm not God. So just think about these steps in terms of power. Realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. We enter into faith by saying, actually, I'm powerless. We give up control, or more, <laughs> more realistically, we recognize we have no control. I remember teaching in Africa and, and talking about how these people in Tanzania, this is in Nairobi, people in Tanzania tended to be, um, they, they focused on adapting and fitting into the way things were because they don't have a lot of control. They fit into the way things were. I said, Americans tend to try to control and try to change things. So, so you know, Tanzanians will go along on something, and Americans say, well, how can we fix this? How can we, this road is really bad. How could we do something about, um, and one of my students was like, I don't get it. I tried to explain it again. He said, oh, you mean the illusion of control? I said, yes, the illusion of control. Americans love the illusion of control. We think we're in control. We have all these systems to give us the illusion of control. And all the people who feed us that the illusion of control, then we, we put them in power to give us more of that illusion. Right? But it's an illusion. We have to admit that we're powerless to control our strength. We have to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, that he loves me, and that he has the power to help me recover. When I admit I'm powerless and God has the power and he loves me, that creates a different dynamic and a security that's not there if I'm trying to control everything. The next step, so these are in order of, you know, it's an acronym, recovery. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Can you commit all of your life and your will to Christ's care and control? I think that's a challenge for all of us. Because usually we're like, yeah, my spiritual life, yeah, my Sunday, not all of my life, my, like my money and all my relationships and every, all of my time and all of, well, everything but, right? Remember the crusaders who used to get baptized with everything but their sword because they didn't really want to give up their sword. Um, all of God's will, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust voluntarily submit. Ooh, submit? That's a very unpopular word. Voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Submit to God. And Paul says, if you're really filled with the Spirit, you'll submit one to another. In Ephesians it says, submit one to another, husbands and wives, children and parents, 
employers and employees um, submitting. So why serve and give power? Well, the first reason is to follow Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus, the symbol he chose was the towel. That's why I put this towel up here. Um, he chose the symbol of the towel. He served. And notice that Jesus, the first temptation, what does is, what is Satan try to get Jesus to do? Use your power for yourself. Feed yourself. Get some fame. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. These are all things that Jesus is going to get. But God's got a different and more difficult way to get them. Jesus is choosing not to get power. Not to use his power for himself. He chooses not to abuse power for himself, but to use it only for what he... But Jesus does use his power. And he heals people. And he casts out demons. He, he goes against the powers and principalities of demons, the, the Pharisees and their way of screwing people down with, with rules, the Sadducees and the... He goes against, and he walks right into the temple, the seat of all the power, and he casts out the demons, and he, and he teaches them a different way. And have no mistake, Jesus is, is <laughs> riding into Jerusalem, into the center of religious power, political power, economic power, and he's challenging it all, but not on a war horse, on a donkey. And he's challenging it all with a towel. And he's serving the least. And he's not caring what the best think about it. In fact, he's challenging them in the way they're oppressing the least. And because Jesus chooses that, they choose for him the cross. The cross was a result of the towel. So let, let's read this. So why does Jesus, how can Jesus choose to go for the towel, to go to the feed trough in the manger in a dinky little village called Bethlehem. So let's read this scripture. John 13, 3 to 5. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. The Father had given Jesus authority over everything. And Jesus knew that. And that he had come from God and would return to God. So, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus had so much security in God and in the authority that God had given him, knew where he came from, where he was going, so he had nothing to prove. So what did Pastor Jim used to say? Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Did I miss something? Nothing to gain. Because he had it all. So our desire, our clinging for power is because we think we have to control it. We don't really think God's in control. We don't think, or maybe if he's in control, he doesn't really love me, so I've got to figure things out. And sometimes maybe that 
keeps us in abusive relationships. Sometimes maybe it makes us cling or abuse our power, but it, it messes up our relationships because we aren't secure in God and in the authority he gave us, where we're coming from, where we're going to. But because Jesus did that, he could use the towel. Now, um, and then this is at the end of the chapter, after washing their feet. Now, notice that when he tries to do this, there's a lot of, no, 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 no. Now, I don't, why did Peter not want him to wash his feet? I, I don't know. There's lots of, I have lots of theories. One of them, I think, is Peter was like, well, if you do that, then I'd have to do that. If the master does that, then, then the, I'm, no, 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 no. Big people don't do that. Because when I get to be the big person, I'm not doing that. I don't, maybe that's one theory. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their masters. So we need to serve each other in the most humble ways and not say, well, that's beneath me. Now, I want you to... So here's the thing that gets tricky. Sometimes it's more comfortable to give away power, to not have power. To be honest, being lead pastor is kind of uncomfortable sometimes because there's a little bit of power comes with it, and I don't necessarily like the power that comes with it and the way that people relate to, to that power. And that, and, but, but it seems like God gave it to me, and you all confirmed that God gave it to me. And so it's part of my service to stay in this role that you think and I think God put me in and use some of whatever that power is, like you all are listening to me, um, to try to uh, use it for good. You get what I'm saying? So I think we sometimes think the Christian thing is to give up power. And it is, sometimes. Or to self-limit our power. The king was not to have too, too much diplomatic power, military power, or um, economic power in Deuteronomy 17. He was supposed to limit himself and make sure he read the law and remember he was under God and all of his authority came from God. But he was supposed to still be the king, right? So in the situation that you said, I have power, it's okay to have power and to use that power, but don't abuse it. It's Remember, it's from God. It's for a purpose. Do what God told you to do with it. When Jesus did things, he said, I do exactly what the Father tells me to do. The Father tells me, heal that person, I, I heal him. And it wasn't, it was, it was this intimate relationship with God where he was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And it, it was a joyful, intimate relationship with God where he was doing what God asked him to do, using what power God gave him, what power the Spirit gave him. But it was using the power that he had for others. Now, sometimes God also calls us to give up power. But, you know, if we're not insecure, that's no big deal, right? So I gave up the power. So he gave me power for a while. Now he gave up the power. Um, but notice that Peter was right. He was going to have to do that. Now, I don't, 
you know, there are some churches that actually do foot washing along with communion. Um, and at that time, maybe it was very literal because they did this like a, as a daily thing. And so maybe Jesus really wanted them to wash each other's feet. I don't know, maybe we should polish each other's shoes. I tried to get that into my wedding ceremony, but my wife was like, no, that's, that's kind of... Um, we sang, brother, let me be your servant, but we didn't do the, foot, the shoe polishing thing. She'd be happy for me to shoe polish now, of course, but uh, I don't always do that. I don't usually do that, let's be honest. Um, so the serving each other um, in the, the simple ways. So why serve and give power? Why would I give away power? Why would I serve? Follow Jesus, the tower and the cross. The other thing is we must surrender and suffer anyway. Listen, folks, whatever power you have, whatever ability you have, someday you're going to have to surrender it. And you're going to meet some suffering anyways. You might as well surrender and suffer for a purpose. And according to God's will. And Jesus, the way down is the way up. I don't think we read the rest of Philippians 2, which says this. Though he was God, this is talking about Jesus, you, should have, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus descended from the high place to the lowest, lowest, lowest place. And therefore, God exalted him to the very, very highest place that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And Jesus said something similar to us, right? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. You want to be great? He didn't say, hey, those guys were, you remember the disciples, right? Arguing over who was the greatest? Of course, it's really about who is the least. I don't know if there any of the rest of you guys were in uh, junior high and uh, middle school locker rooms. or you know, Everybody's trying to figure out who's going to be picked on, right? None of the disciples wanted to be the 12th disciple. So you might as well get up to the first, right? So they're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus said, you want to be great? He didn't say, stop trying to be great. He said, okay. You want to be great? Here's the way. Learn to be the servant of all. So it's okay to want to be great. But Jesus has the only way to be great, which is to go down. And you know that those leaders who we really esteem are the ones who went down and down and down and served. The ones like a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King or somebody who, who humbled themselves and endured 
violence and beating and fasted and tried what they could to change things. Now, they were not a pushover. They were calling love out of the other person, right? The people who we honor are the ones who really serve with their capacity. Um, now, the I, I have to tell you a little bit of irony or maybe... So this, this is a special towel. This is my wife's towel for being a PhD graduate of Africa International University. Now, where that comes from is that every time we have a graduation at Africa International University, we have a foot washing ceremony and the vice chancellor, the president, washes the feet of some of the, of the graduates and gives towels and says, you have been trained to go be servants to go be slaves and to serve with what you've received. At least that's what used to happen. Now we have a new vice chancellor and a new deputy vice chancellor, and they don't do that anymore. They get a chaplain or somebody to do that. But they still get the towels. But it's not quite the same. But you see, <laughs> we don't really like to humble ourselves. And you know what? The new leaders don't have the respect that the old leaders did. Because people see that they're not really serving out of just what is needed for people. So this is a, um, this is a pattern. So um, Janet Hagberg has written a book called Real Power, another one on the critical journey. Um, and she talks, of, she has the steps of stages of power. But I want you to notice that her stages of power and the critical journey is a circle. It starts with powerlessness, moves to power by association. I'm one of the gang. I'm part of the, I'm part of the Cub Scouts or the Democrats or the Republicans or the uh, Fellowship of Christian Assemblies or whatever it is. And then power by achievement, the productive life. So these are stages of both growth and the productive life is when you get to serve and when you're, when you're helping people out and you're, you're accomplishing. Then, then it moves to power by reflection and the journey inward there's a wall or a place of inner choices that moves to power by purpose, which is giving away power. And finally leads to power by wisdom, the life of love. It's just being. It looks powerless again. Most people don't get that far. Most people, if they're lucky, get to power by achievement, power by symbol. They've got the car, the degree, the, the uh, money, the, um, the, the beautiful spouse, whatever it is. Um, the beautiful kids, the, the power by symbol is the most that most people get to. And it's, and it's important to, uh, to get there. Now, Richard Rohr has a book called Falling Upward, a spirituality for the two halves of life. And he says something similar. Um, the task of the first half of life is to create a proper container for one's life and answer the first essential questions. What makes me significant? How can I support myself? And who will go with me? The task of the second half of life is quite simply to find the actual contents that this container was meant to hold and deliver. So what we find is that once we get all that, then we have to start asking what for. And sometimes we have to go in and we have to start giving up power. And the, But the point is whatever stage you're at, are you there? Are you using that power for God's glory, serving him and serving other people? So it's been a, 
it's been a good few weeks in Lake Wobegon. <laughs> uh, my mom has been here since since uh, Thanksgiving, and my mom was really into the productive life. I mean, she ran the uh, ran the Sunday school and the vacation Bible school and music ministry, and the, and she she worked as a as a home ec and math teacher to support the family, and she raised six kids and she did all that stuff and ran Bible studies. She did she was into the productive life, doing all kinds of stuff, but life has moved on. So they raised a great family and then they sent them off. And then they uh, raised a great church and they left it. And they built a, built a beautiful house and then sold it so I could go to school. And they, they gave away so many things and they did some other things and then they gave it. And they, when they were in Rich Doble's church and he was the pastor, he tried to make him an elder and dad said, no, 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 I don't need that stuff. I don't need any, I don't want any influence. Um, you, know, you know, put me on the missions committee, that's okay. So, um, so they, they gained all that, but then they gave it away, and yet they gained some power where people just kind of wanted to be with them. And it's been cool to be with my mom. Um, so this week she had a, uh, we didn't know if it was a stroke or a spell where she, she couldn't talk, and she couldn't hardly walk or, or stand up, and uh, so we were... Um, trying to help her with that, and um, um, if she got a word out, it was, thank you, I love you, helping, thank you for helping. Um, and so the love that made her do all that, two years ago, she was 92, we had a full Thanksgiving dinner at her house, and she made, that was what she was doing until two years ago. Um, now I get the chance to serve back. But the motive is still there, even though the power is gone or is different. So she's fallen down three times while she's been with us, um, just trying to get into bed. She, she fell out of bed. We got up in the morning, Jan took her shower, came out and said, Mom, you're lying on the floor. She said, yeah, I, I fell out of bed at like 3.30. So why didn't you call us? The doors are all open. I didn't want to bother you. So the only choice she has is whether to wake us up or lay on the floor. So she got her pillow and laid on the floor. Um, so it's still service. It's still for others, even if there's not much to do. And there's a so the way life is, and it's all a risk in these stages of power. There's a risk to get out of powerlessness and get into the next position. There's a risk to, to do the work, to, to get the education, to, to get the family, to, to, to work into that productive life and life of achievement. And, and then and you, you climb that, and you, then you start giving up and going down and giving away power and, and, and letting other people do things. And, and there's a descent that can happen but it's a growth in power. And it's a growth toward a place where we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. It's not only what we do and give away, but who we become in the process. And some of the things that have to happen is sometimes we have to let other people serve us. Sang a song. The song I sang with my wife on our wedding was, Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. Sometimes we have to have the grace to let other people be 
servants to us. That's been mom's chance to change tables, and I've appreciated the grace after 92 years to now get a couple weeks to serve her. Um, and so we, we give away power, or power is stripped from us, <laughs> but there is a growth in this whole process. Wherever you are, whatever power God has given you, whatever control you have, or whatever control you've had to give up, what are you going to do with that? My mom never complains about how she's hurting or uncomfortable or what's wrong. Or she's, She thanks God for um, how Virgil died. Not that she's complaining about that she's a widow. How the family's doing, not that we're all over the world and we don't see her much. Um, she, so there's a choices all the time. And what choices you make now are the choices that you build into your character and into your eternity. And they're the places that you leave blessing behind or you leave people who were abused by your power behind. So <clears throat> here's my challenge to you. Could the, could the worship team come up? Um, and they're just going to play. Um, can you be secure in God's power and love? Now, it's easy to say that. It's hard to believe it. I mean, like, as you live it, as you surrender it, as you lose things, as you gain things, can you be secure in God's power and love and not have to cling and grasp? But hold, if he's given you power, and then surrender to Jesus and serve him, serve God, glorify Him, and serve others with whatever you power you have. Now, some of that's what you do. Some of it is the attitude you do it with. Some of it is uh, the words you speak. Paul goes on in, in Philippians 2 and gets just like really practical. And uh, he says, do it in verse 14. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. When I used to work in a nursing home as a certified nursing assistant and do some pretty menial, or I mean, just what needed to be done, right? But um, there was a whole lot of complaining and arguing. And I was trying to figure out how to be a Christian in this place. And I thought, well, the one thing I could do is just do my work without complaining and without arguing. And I tried. <laughs> I don't know that I was so great at it. But um, there was a lot of time pressure and a lot of things. But, and now it's been, it's been useful and helpful with helping mom. And um, so can you do what you do without complaining or arguing? Um, can you suffer what you've suffered and may continue to be suffered without complaining or arguing? Can you lose 
Can you be in pain and not complain or argue? There's a lot of different challenges that God gives us. Can you love him and love people in the way you do it, in the attitude you have in it? Can you use whatever power you have, even if it's just whether I'm going to complain or not? Even if you can't walk, you can't talk, you can't whatever, are you going to do it with um, an attitude of surrender and service? So I'm going to invite you to come and pray. We have some, some good time today. I've left some time because I think this is, at least for me, the crux of many of these things. Um, sex and money often come down to issues of power. And why do I want money? Well, it's probably because I want some control over some things. Um, can you be secure? Does Jesus love you enough? Now, he came all the way from heaven to humble himself, to be a slave, to die on the cross for you. That should be a pretty good hint that he loves you with all of his power and all of his being. And now he's been exalted to the highest place and he has all that power, again, to use for you. But sometimes he's going to use it to transform you. Sometimes he's going to let you go through just the way our sinful world is, some of the things that happen in this broken world. You're going to have a chance to be transformed by it, one way or another. Uh, so let's let's sing, and I'm going to ask the, the uh, I'm going to ask some people to come up and, and pray here. You can just be seated for now and, and reflect, because I want you to think about those places you said at the beginning. I have power, or those institutions and ways of doing things that you participate in and the power that they have. How can you do it in a godly way? Following Jesus' example. Let's sing. But you're welcome to come up. I'll have some gloves and prayers up here. For specific things that you might want to pray for. Yard upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. There I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Power, your authority so that we can have security knowing where we came from and where we're going that you have authority that you've given us authority given us opportunity to rule and reign something on your behalf Lord I pray that you'd help us to surrender our own 
anxious desires and way that we want things to go. Pray that you'd help us to listen to your voice. What does the Father want me to do? That you'd help us to enter in, whether that's the classroom or the home or our work. Whatever it is, wherever it is, we ask that you would show us what we should do. Even as we participate in, as citizens, as part of this city, this nation, I pray that you would help us in how we speak, how we think, what we worry about. And we show that you have authority, you have love. We have security in you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would weave that security into our souls, into our emotions, into our thoughts, into our behaviors. That your love and your power would flow through us so that we can serve others. So that we can pick up the towel and follow you serve those around us in whatever opportunities we have that would be willing to be humble even if we're the leaders that we'd be willing to serve in whatever capacity we have Lord we just need you to change us transform us and help us to live in your grace so when we don't do it right as parents in class or at work we can rely on your grace God we want to surrender to you fully we want to trust you fully we want to serve you and others as only you can enable us to do so we ask you to do that not only in our hearts and our attitudes but in our actions this week this Christmas time Lord, whenever we see a manger or anything related to Christmas, we remember that you came down and you're inviting us to follow. Thank you, Lord, that the way down is the way up. That humbling yourself to death led to resurrection, to exaltation. Lord, we do want to rule and reign with you as you designed us to, now and forever. So give us control of ourselves through your Holy Spirit. Help us to enter into that which you have for us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who gave himself for us. So I'm going to invite you to stay and pray if you want. You're welcome to go if you want. You're welcome to... uh, I'm just going to pray a benediction. Father who gave your son and watched the agony of his death. Son, Jesus, who humbled yourself to be a slave, a servant, and a sacrifice. Holy Spirit, who transforms us and enables us to live this way. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, go into your world as servants of God and of people. Amen.